The Legendarium Podcast is brought to you by, by you. So please visit patreon.com slash legendarium to, to support the show. But for now, welcome to The Legendarium. Not as easy as it looks, is it? Yeah, no, it's it's worse than it looks. Are we gonna we can edit that out if we want to. Here we go. From learning to fight on oh. Earth. Has Craig <laughs> ever edited anything? I think there's still original episodes of us like saying we'll edit that in post and episode two or something like that still has it in there. Welcome to the Legendarium Podcast. This is episode 189, and we will be reviewing The Forever War by Joe Haldeman. I think I said that right. I am Todd Wente, your host for this episode. We're trying something a little bit different for today's episode. Hopefully you'll enjoy listening to it as much as we have enjoyed preparing for this episode. Speaking of we, let me introduce the rest of our panel for the night. Our resident punchin' enthusiast, Ken Johnson, is with us. And if you're lucky, you can pull my laser finger. Yeah, I'm just not <laughs> even going to go there. Uh, our bubbly and charming Megan Smythe is with us as well. Woo! And joining us, the ever thoughtful and mostly pleasant Ryan Bruckman. I was really expecting the bubbly one to be about me too, so <laughs> I had no response to it. I'm I'm so glad that compliments <laughs> keep you off guard because you've all gotten so used to insults. That that makes me feel good. Um, so housekeeping, uh, for those of you who are with us, who've been with us often, you're used to this. Uh, Patreon.com slash legendarium is where you can go to support the show. We also have PayPal and Venmo. It, the legendarium podcast at gmail.com is how you might find us on those uh, on those uh, Cash channels. flow services. Cash flow yeah. services. Thank you. I, on the give us money exchanges. On the give on the, <laughs> uh, the legendarium.reddit.com is where you can find us on Reddit. We are nearing the 1000 mark. We have 930 as of today. So if you have friends that are looking for something to do with their time, tell them to check us out. 928 of them lost a bet. Nah. <laughs> or they're signed up from Sweden. Um, that joke's never going to get old. Um, well. Obviously, I'm going to have to start getting a little more involved with Reddit, I think. Um, so you are aware, we will be beginning Pierce, Bra uh, Pierce Brown's Red Rising trilogy at the same time that Craig, Kyle, and Ryan are reading Gentleman Bastard. So if you want to get yourself thoroughly confused following two sets of books at the same time, this is going to be a fun time. You'll fit right in. And yeah. <laughs> we really want to get as much content to you guys as possible. It's just, it's getting hard with only having so many of us running that. So it's a way to get you a little more content. Yeah. And for those of you who like one and not the other, then it makes it easier that, to choose that way as well. Hopefully you like everything that we do. And if you don't, find another friend, put them on Reddit, have them start reading. and We'll have some more fun with that. Um, today we are talking about the Forever War, and uh, I have I have tried my hand at writing a short little synopsis. Ooh. Yeah, I know this is either going to be really really bad or it's going to be really really good. And I didn't even I didn't even give Craig the opportunity to hear this one before we started. So if he makes fun of me, um, it's it's all mine. It's all mine. Hmm. What are the necessary ingredients for a good science fiction war novel? Meeting a vicious alien species, figuring out how to fight in the unforgiving harshness of space, some interesting new technology regarding interstellar travel, sprinkle in some anecdotes about time dilation, and it sounds like the recipe is complete, right? Well, if that's the case, The Forever War by Joe Haldeman sounds like it makes the grade. Beginning in 1997, which was the near future when the novel was written, but obviously the past for us, we are introduced to both William Mandela and the UNEF, a government entity that protects the Earth by conducting a war in the stars. 
from learning to fight with on earth with uh uh excuse me <laughs> not as easy as it looks is it yeah no it's it's worse than it looks are we gonna we can edit that out if we want to here we go from learning to fight on no. earth has craig ever edited anything <laughs> i think there's still original episodes of us like saying we'll edit that in post and episode two or something like that still has it in there from learning to fight on Earth to an initial engagement against Tarans in a spacesuit with a laser finger, our hero negotiates his first space battle only to return to Earth and find it not so familiar, even though mere decades had passed. Re-enlisting and becoming an officer meant more time fighting and more time subject to the vagaries of time dilution and cultural confusion. If the first casualty of war is truth, this novel grapples with that idea head on. Whether the science, whether it is about the science of time travel the fighting, the training, of, or the political and social changes in the state of the world, nothing seems to be off limits. Haldeman explores each of these ideas through the lens of the late 20th century social and political norms in a narrative style that, for the most part, feels easy and approachable. While frequently compared to Heinlein's Starship Troopers, the book stands on its own as a fine piece of uh, standalone science fiction. Do you agree or do you disagree? What are your initial thoughts on the book? You guys have all read it, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. Okay. I read it today. You read? <laughs> I read the entire book today in one day. Wow. Boy, uh -uh. are you fresh off the fresh off the boat on that one? What do yeah. you think? Initial initial thoughts? Oh, there's a lot going on in this book. There, it's it's one of those. I was really glad that I managed to finish it before we got here because the ending just kind of exploded my mind a little bit, which we will probably get to later. Um. I yeah it was my first I can't believe that I had never read this previously um and nothing had been spoiled for me previously uh because it's it's a doozy it, yeah it was a lot of fun to read good Ken what'd you think I liked it okay fine okay <laughs> that's, that's all we get from Ken <laughs> that's, good that's night, all everybody. no it I I thought it was uh interesting and I I say that because a lot of the things which we have been reading our fantasy and here we are stepping back into the sci-fi realm and so it, it was fun changing that gear and getting back into uh mobile battle suits and aliens and um future technology and actually actually getting into what could be coming type thing and, and realizing this was written in 1974 or published in 1974 Haldeman really had a kind of a, a nice grasp on some of the things that were coming from 1974, you know, in terms of uh, inter, well, we don't have interstellar communication necessarily here, but we have communication strategies that were really only uh, dreamed of as science fiction back in, in the 70s. And we have a lot of technology now that was similar to, to stuff that he conceived of. Yeah, uh, I mean, there were still some relics in there that... that I can guarantee old. you that there's a lot of tech today that exists because of the writings of science fiction and fantasy previously. That, hey, I want to have that. I, You know, well, watching Star Trek, I want to have that communicator that's just flips open, things like that. That's exactly it. Motorola Razors uh, from, from the early 2000s. Those yeah. were, were old-style Star Trek communicators. Yep. iPads. Are direct. I mean, those are basically direct ripoffs from the the pad system that Star Trek used. That's and, and science fiction drives technology. It it always has. Yep. And so in a lot well, of but ways. But it was also fun reading this book, and and I I would find things that reminded me of things in Star Trek or something from say Mars Attacks or you know just they a lot of different um, science fiction properties have a lot to 
I have uh, never, I have never thought of Mars Attacks in conjunction with this book. <laughs> oh, but I'll tell now you where that, that you, came from later. Now that you said that, uh-huh. I'm going to be looking for, we will have uh-huh. that conversation. Ryan, what do you think? Initial impressions. So this, um, this book reminds me of a much more adult version of, or a combination of Ender's Game and um, Starship Troopers. It's kind yes. of those two combined together. And that may just be a genre thing that science fiction has this feel. And so it, it feels like it therefore... I classified it works. Um, as for the storyline, the plot and everything, I, this book took me a little bit at the beginning to invest in. Um, was it the was it the initial uh, disciplinary situation that the military has come up with as far as rather than saying yes, sir, but uh, the other... F you, sir. The F you, sir. <laughs> no, it, it's not really that. I mean, there's always a, a bit of a gauge when you first start out a book. Okay, what what am I getting myself into in terms of content? And if if you have if you have a feel of a personal line, like I don't want to be reading things that cross this line or whatever, it's always good to get a feel for that. And this one tells you pretty quickly about where their line is. So <laughs> at least you have that early on. If if you're a little bit hesitant about reading language or um, being open about sexuality and things like that, you'll know really quickly that you probably don't want to go further in this book than than that first little bit. Yeah, right. Yeah. I think you and Craig asked me a while back if I'd be interested in reading this. And I was like, sure, I don't know. And then you said, well, how do you feel about that for it? I was like, uh, I don't know. So it was funny to, you know, flip over the page onto the second page. And it's, I was like, oh, I bet this is that book. Yeah. I didn't look it up, but I think that's, <laughs> I but I did a few end others. up enjoying it. But I, <laughs> one of the things that I really like about stories like this that is also tackled in other similar uh, veins is the progression of humanity in the future with the development of tech and like kind of what happens. And that's probably my favorite part of this book is mm-hmm. to say, okay, based on what he's saying and, and the, this, this war and how, how it's being fought and, and the interaction with the tech and everything else, humanity has gone this direction. And that is one thing that I have always appreciated about Ender's Game and, the, and these other um, stories that, Though that's the most original part of these stories, we get similar, you know, similar text, similar tropes, but humanity will go in a totally unique direction. Yeah, down and, the road, and that is something that we're going to be uh, that that if you guys hadn't brought up, I certainly was going to. So I'm glad that you picked up on that, and that'll certainly be something we talk about a little bit later. Mm-hmm. Um, bef- before we talk about uh, before we talk about my first impressions, because I, I'm the one that had already read the book on this on this go around. Um, and before, but before I share those, um, Megan, did you have some stuff? I asked you to kind of see if you could find some stuff for us about the author. Do you have a couple of things for us that you would like to share? Um, a couple, this book was, um, you don't have as many notes on this book as you've had it on some of the others. <laughs> I know. Well, she just finished it, all, it like I, 20 I, minutes I, ago. So <laughs> I was rushing to try to finish. I stopped taking notes about, you know, a hundred pages into it. Cause I just needed to finish it and didn't have time to stop and write things. Um, this, the forever war is Joe Haldeman's um, third novel, and he really had a devil of time getting it published because it was still during the Vietnam War. It was heavily influenced by his experience um, being drafted into the Vietnam War. Uh, but when they did finally get it published, it just um, exploded. Like it, it won all kinds of awards and was just one of. Um, it's like we said, it's it still hugely influences. Uh, science fiction it also he he has written a couple of sequels but he came back to write those sequels in 1999 so 25 years after this book was originally published he he felt like he had more to say about it um that's 
that's about all. I, it, it did help me, though, to know that it was it was based on the Vietnam War with a yeah. lot of things that were going on in it because every time they would talk about, you know, they start off with the whole, um, and you've all been drafted into this, and there is only one way of discipline, and that is death. And I was like, they were drafted, and you're just, what? That <laughs> is really severe. I really kind of wish I'd watched you while you were reading this book because I think there would have been lots of points where you just put the book down and went, what? Did I read that right? And go back and look at it again. I would yeah, have loved to have there done were, that. There were a couple of those. I so would, I would be interested to see information, having done a, a few different series on authors who served in yeah. war mm -hmm. and how it affects their writing. Because you can tell that to a certain degree, this speaks from experience. Yeah, and yeah. Maybe, yeah. maybe some of it is taking it and tweaking this, the experience as to what you thought it could have been or should have been or would have been with just this little differentiation. Um, but all, even uh, when we talked about you know Robert Jordan and some of the things that he wrote um, in Wheel of Time with his experience, I, I, I very much appreciate authors who research or experience and write what they know yeah. because that's, that's the strongest writing that I think is out there. And this story absolutely 100% reads as someone has, who has been in the trenches, who's been in those moments, and especially in some place like Vietnam that is that was such a horror scene for so many of them and not understood by a lot of people as well. Yeah, yeah. It he, wasn't he comes home and the world is entirely different and he doesn't know where his place in it, is it and he just wants to go back. It's certainly... Because you know, it's all he knows and it's all he knows. Yeah, and it's, it's very interesting to see him put that in terms of somebody who was out of time, but really, I mean, it, it's his personal experience from, from the, the late 60s, early 70s that were soldiers were being treated much the same way. You leave as you know, idealistic and impressionable and, you know, and the world is great and you come back and you have just been beaten down in this hell of a, of an experience and you come back and now, now not only have you, have you barely survived, you know, this hell, you come back to, to no support sure. basically. And, and you don't know where to find your place in the world and all that. From the, yeah. from the standpoint of one of the authors that I've, that I've followed, he's, he continues to say, all writing is autobiographical to a certain extent. And I think this book really brings that forward. Um, Ryan, I like what you say about it's obvious that his military experience impacts here. One of the things that I noticed uh, about um, the Lost Fleet series, which was written by a naval officer, um, there was lots of time spent talking about how all of the maneuvering in space would happen. Well, this is being told from the perspective of a ground pounder. And so all of the maneuvering in space gets glossed over, but all of the ground pounding action gets taken care of. So it's, it is kind of interesting that those experiences would inform where they think this is going to go in the future. Um, let me talk a little bit about my initial impressions, if I may. And this is one that I've, I've mentioned to, you, to a couple of you. This I don't care whether you're shaking your head at me, Ken. I'm going to say it anyway. Um, this was a, the, the reason that I found this book, uh, I, was, I was 13 when I picked this book up. I picked it up at a junior high literature fair. What? Yeah, at the book fair at Kaysville Junior High. Now, if my... Did the teachers not know exactly? I think was... they had no clue what was in this book. They saw that it had the little stamp on the front of it that said Hugo and Nebula award-winning book. And they said, oh, it must be really good science fiction. It was set right next to A Wrinkle in Time. Oh. I picked them both up. 
And because they were both in the science fiction section, and as I picked them up, I read a, I read the first few pages of A Wrinkle in Time and said, oh, that'll be interesting. Threw it over my shoulder, read the first few pages in The Forever War, immediately tucked it underneath my pillow because I was afraid that my mom would come down and start nosing through my stuff and find this book. L- let me let me stress, for those of you who, who maybe are listening to this and you haven't read the book, first off, why are you listening to this without having read the book? Read it. Um, it it wasn't that it was graphic because it really wasn't. It wasn't uh, uh, it wasn't exceptionally graphic in the in no. portrayals of human coupling and all of those other kinds of things. But it was just edgy enough that you, when you were thirteen years old and you're reading some of these things, you go, "I just read the f bomb. I just read the f bomb again." There's a lot of f bombs in this book. He's sleeping with a different woman every every night. night. Yeah. I, I I remember getting to the end of that first chapter and he says, I patted her hip in what I thought was a brotherly fashion and said, good night, Rogers. And I'm thinking to myself, well, the military certainly going to be different in the 90s. And of course, we get to the 90s and it's don't ask, don't tell. It's a very different kind of a situation. Um, when we when we think about uh, when we think about this kind of a book, a science fiction war book. Um, of course it, it gets compared to starship troopers. Mm-hmm. Um, there is a lot of time spent in the, the warfare aspect. So Ken being our resident punchin expert, I, I do love the military stuff. I'm, I was curious what you thought about the way that the, that the combat sequences and the fighting sequences in this were handled. I liked it a lot. And the reason I liked it a lot is because it, it, it takes some creativity to, make theoretical um theoretical things work you know what i mean which, which i guess only only uh how am i trying i'm, I'm words can at, words i know can. I'm, I'm looking at megan and my words escape me there you go you're welcome was, yeah wow no silence on a podcast that's, it, it that's takes, what we're looking for it takes some some real skill to make uh theoretical concepts work on the written page in a believable fashion. And I think he does it very well, especially since, you know, we don't have space combat, that sort of thing. But when he, when he explains making the mobile battle units work on an ice planet and you've got to account for friction and gravity and, and stuff, it's, it's very entertaining to watch all of that happen. I especially liked the fact that we never really get an, a picture of the Tarans. You know, the, the the enemy, they're just, they're kind of always there and you, you fight them and you kill them and then you come back, but you never get like, oh, they're mandibles and blah, blah, you know, or anything like that. You, you just, you're left to your own devices to, to imagine what you're up against, which is even scarier in a lot of situations or even more intense in a lot of situations. I think he handled that very well. Okay. Anybody else, Ryan? Well, one of the best parts of the battle, battle sequences inside this is the development and how they grow and change because the first one it's laser pointer against kind of alien a bubble blowing machine yeah yeah it, it, there's not <laughs> much so freaking cool <laughs> oh that a was deadly bubble yeah I mean that that would have changed um, Infinity Wars quite a bit if it'd been those kind of bubbles <laughs> I'm just saying but one of the things that I appreciated is that every subsequent battle sequence, every time that we re-enter into the war, we're at a new time level, we're at a new time point, mm-hmm. and therefore the battle has changed. The Tarans learn after the first time because of time dilation, they've had time to adapt. Yeah. So this group comes in and now they're behind. What was once the lead group, they're now behind. And I appreciate that when you go into a battle because it makes every battle an open 
opportunity. Like it, anything can happen because you're coming in. You are you the are you the the lead? Are you the the underdog? Um, what do they have? What are the numbers? What it? I I appreciate that factor of it. Um, as for the actual writing of the battle sequences, it's very. It is a product of its time, and it's written yeah. to showcase enough of the horrors of battle. But it's not. It, I'd never felt that it dwelt too long on making things happen. But there, it didn't shy away from any moments of yeah. If someone got ripped in half or something like that, it had like they they talked about it. And I appreciate when if you're gonna write gritty war, then write gritty war. Like do it. And I he did in this one. I felt the same way about Starship Troopers. Um, which is, I think, the strongest comparison on that one. but Especially with the battle suits and that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the way they talk about... Well, and Megan, what did you think? I mean, you didn't you didn't get a chance to read Starship Troopers with us. I don't know if you've already read that. I have not read that one. Okay. Oh, go read it. I know. It's so good. I know. And then don't go see the, Y'all keep don't see telling the movie. me to read things. Yeah, don't I mean, see, see, see the movie, but read the book first. Don't, don't, don't ever see the movie. Don't, don't <laughs> support that. And think of that. them as two independent things. Anyway, <laughs> Megan, what did you think about the fight, about the fighting portions? I thought they were I thought they were really cool. I'm I'm with Ryan where I enjoyed seeing the um the progression uh especially from the from the Tarans where uh you you did just never know what what was going to happen. I don't have a lot of coherent things to say about this. Uh, <laughs> that's <laughs> a, talk about that's the a level first. 3 things. That, uh, I know. Uh, we'll get to the level 3. We'll get to level 3. Yeah. The if, time the time dilation stuff I I thought was really made all of the the sequences interesting though because it, it's basically four years of of their life translated into roughly 1300 years of of history and so it really it quickly becomes a man out of time thing yeah. and and you get to see all of these advancements and really put yourself into a position of I, I don't know how I would handle it and it's kind of fun to actually put yourself in that position as you're reading it going this is weird. All of this stuff is, is well, yeah. It's, odd. it's hard and, for us to keep track of where they are in time. Yeah, it, you know, and and we're getting it from the point of view of this man who is also having a difficulty. Yeah, figuring out where he is in time and in reference to all the people around him, where he's talking to a kid who's third generation on the planet of heaven, and he yeah. you know grew up and was raised here. I I do I I really appreciated though we're seeing the experiences of this one man. And they'll go into details about all of the different ways that their technology can accidentally kill themselves, where he talks about um, Potter getting injured by her, not the suit, but like the pod that by, she's in. Yeah, like, by her yeah. acceleration. Oh, and, and there's a bruise. And now there's this whole, like, and it just gets worse. And you see how the doctors are trying to um, fix each of these different situations. And, oh, I just lost my leg because my suit is trying to protect my life. So it just cuts off my leg because that's the one thing that can be spared or sure. that's the thing that was injured the most. And then it goes into, you know, and now I'm going to have this prosthetic leg. What? It's going to be a, we're growing an actual leg. I'm going to have nerves. It's, it's fascinating. Yeah. Um, now going back to the idea of the time dilation, I know that the time dilation becomes a real, uh, a real pivotal tool. It becomes mm -hmm. a, uh, a tool that he uses to set up a lot of the social changes that he wants to explore. But my question, my question was this, when you were, did you gloss over the part where he was talking about why the time dilation worked or did you sit there and did you say to yourself, I got to figure this out really quick. I got to, I got to, I got to go back and do some more study. Did, was, am I the only one that read that part and went, Ooh, 
I need to go explore some more. I need to put this book on the hold for just a second. You guys are all looking at me like I am the strangest person are you, to walk you're, out. Are you talking about figuring out the the concept or, or the the um, equations that make time not necessarily the equations, or? but but yeah, digging digging a little deeper into the physics and why the physics work the way that they did, and then how the, plausible is this? Yeah, did am I the only one that? that spent some time doing that or did any of the rest of you or did you just look at it and say, I got a podcast to do. I'm going to look at that later. No, I, I accepted the concept. I mean, if, if that's what you're talking about, it, it makes complete sense. And it's something that uh, even Einstein kind of delved into in his, you know, theory of relativity when he was talking about light speed travel and all of that, about how you can't actually reach light speed or else you basically cease to, you know, age while time continues to go on that sort of thing or the closer you get to the speed of light the slower time goes for you while it, it continues on and that so the concept made a lot of sense and the way that they use the collapsars to kind of justify that is is you know fine that con the the, the tool worked okay I, I admit that i glossed over it for the most part but i do because i was just in a hurry but i really want to go back and um and look at it again take it, well i want to take a look at the last couple of chapters where, spoiler alert, if you haven't read this book, but seriously, go read it. Oh, yeah, really? Um, they, where in the last couple of, like, it's the last chapter, so here you go, um, where Potter sends a letter and says, hey, I'm doing this time travel thing where I should still only be 28, even though I'm 200 years behind you, so come and find me. And I'm like, wait, I... I just missed how that time travel thing works, yeah. so I need to go back and take a look at that. Ryan, I look at you getting ready to say something a couple of times. Well, it's... So I will tell you that on this read through, I glossed over it, not because it wasn't interesting or not anything, but simply because it's familiar. Okay. Yeah. There, mm -hmm. when, when you've read a lot of these, or if you spend time watching TV series that are the science fiction, um, if you spend any time in Doctor Who, um, some Star Trek, things like that, the idea of space travel causing that, it's like, yeah, seen it, get it. I understand when they get back, time has moved on. Right. Like, I will deal with the repercussions of that. I don't care about so much about the physics of this. I want to know about the human element, the side that says, okay, so you're coming back 200 years later, you know, based on your your time scale there. How is that going to affect your, is everyone dead? Are you, you know, at the very end when he's mm -hmm. meeting up with Mary Gay again, it's like, you know, if this works out, we can come back together. Like that to me is more of a draw than, Wow, yeah, that I I want to know why that works, things like that. And this is why the thirteen-year-old boy in me said, "Ooh, wow, I want to learn how that works too." And I spent, I, and I guess maybe maybe part of it is that this book, um, it it's its treatment of this topic was newer at the time that it was published, and now it's a little bit more prevalent. We've got a lot of books that have dealt with it. Does that does that make it something that is dated, that is unfortunate about the book, or do we still accept it and we just we just work with it and move on. I wouldn't say dated. Uh, no. I wouldn't because it's a concept that will until such time as we are actually doing this and and it becomes a reality where we see where it's off. It's still a construct that we can play with. Yeah. Like it's not dated. The only difference is, is that it's more likely that your audience is going to recognize it earlier and not need the explanation as much yeah okay right i i think that's only, and that's simply because we are in a time now where this sort of concept is more saturated into mainstream media pieces for us to take in like i mean may, marvel movies are dealing with the quantum realm and and things like that the average person just goes okay 
cool, whatever. But then when they read something, just a little bit that they caught in the mo- in some movie about it or in another book they've read will trigger enough mm-hmm. to be like, hey, yeah, that's fine. I get it. So I, it's more a benefit, I think, than it is a criticism against like this being out of time or yeah, I'll buy that. Um, there's another thing that I wanted to ask about as far as as far as the dating of this book, and that is that for us, much of what they're talking about is in the past and did not happen. So what does that do? What did that do to you as you were reading through the book? And he's saying, "Oh, it's 1997. We've already encountered our first alien species, and we're looking back, going, no, the Cubs hadn't even won the World Series by 1997. I'm not sure about it. Did that <laughs> did, did that eventually. pull you out of the story so at all, many. or did it did it have any kind of an impact? It it didn't uh, for me only because it's not uncommon to read stories that eventually date themselves anymore. 2001: A Space Odyssey, for example, you know, or 2010, if you ever saw that. It, it's it's something that just kind of happens. Even even Back to the Future too. I mean, it came out in 1989, and we were supposed to have hover cars by 2015, and mm-hmm. and all of these things. And I'm you, still you, mad about that. I am too. But you, you just kind of you just kind of accept. I I think if you're reading if you're reading stories that that uh, take place in the future from when they're written, you just kind of accept that you're not gonna you're not gonna get the same um, the same writing. You're not gonna get the same outlook or. Um, as what actually happens. I don't, I don't know what I'm saying, but basically what, what's written to what happens are, are not going to exactly match up. For me, when I'm reading something like that, it becomes a game of seeing, okay, what did this guy get right? Okay. Basically, yeah. I, start to, I start to say, okay, what did you see that, was, that actually did happen and what, what did you totally miss on? It's, a, it's the same thing as making predictions at the start of a baseball season for, for me and then at the end of the baseball seeing, season going back to those predictions and going, yep, that one was right, that one that one was way off, you know. And, and we notice again that everything comes back to baseball for Ken. Or basketball. <laughs> baseball or basketball. Um, I do I do think it's interesting, though, that he he specifically wrote, he, he chose 19, you know, the late 1990s because um, he, it, the you know, some of the generals and the people who fought during the Vietnam War would still be alive. And he felt yeah. like this is how these people would have reacted where, oh, there's there's this threat. We need to go to war. And we're in a war. Like, we've had things come up where there's a threat and we have gone to war because that's the way our... Oh, no, I don't want to get political. I'm sorry. Ugh. But, um, <laughs> but like, that's... Well, the book is, the book is the, political. I mean, the so book it's, talks about it's... this this war. It's this forever war and... Now we're in some wars that we feel like have been going on forever. So I don't, that's all I want to say about that. I, I'm, I'm disappointed that that's all you wanted to say because there's, there's a piece of that that I would like to talk about. Oh, Since you brought it up, I can let's, say more. let's, let's talk about it a little bit. At the end of the book, um, <gasps> and I know we're, we're, we're jumping past a lot of stuff and we'll probably come back and pick yeah, up a few back. other things along the way. Um, but at the end of the book, there's a, there's a, uh, a, a moment where, they 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 returned to Stargate and they said, oh, you're the last ones to get here. And then they start to realize, oh, this has not been just a subtle cultural change. This has been a complete change of the genetic makeup of the human race. Basically destroyed yeah. humanity. We're now at clones. Clones don't think individualistically anymore. They mm-hmm. think with a with kind of a uh, a shared, not a shared consciousness uh, or not a shared awareness, but uh, but a, but a shared consciousness. Um, and they talk about the idea that this war was started by individuals who needed a war to prop up the economy mm-hmm. of the late nineties. And we right. lay that over the top of 
the war on terror that was started in 2001, did, did you feel like at any point in time you were reading that and saying, okay, the concept was, the concept was pulled together pretty accurately. It's just that it wasn't being fought in space. It's still being fought here on the planet. Did, did, did you guys feel that way as you're looking, as you were looking at it and reading it right now? I did. I felt it uh, from my experiences growing up in a post-Vietnam era more, you know, because there was a lot of uh, war protesters who would spout, you know, military industrial complex and mm-hmm. all of that. And the whole reason for war is so that the war profiteers can make money and, and all of that. And, and and as a kid, it was more of a, I don't, I don't understand any of what you're saying. I'm going to go play, you know, on my bike and stuff. But for me, it was it was more the idea that the only way this war was able to the forever war was able to end was when humanity got to that point and became like a hive mind, for lack of a better term, um, because th- that is how the Tarans thought that they they all had like, you know, they were all linked in their minds. And that was the only way. Um, once humans understood that, that they could communicate with the Tarans and everybody goes, oh my gosh, this war is completely unnecessary. It, it was all started by a big misunderstanding. Boy, is our face red. It was. And I just, I think it, it's so interesting that that's foreshadowed when they go to the first planet with that very first encounter and meet the teddy bears. Yeah. Um, and the teddy yeah. bears are a hive mind and they're all linked. And you have a couple of the people in the company who are Rhine sensitive, which I had to look up because I didn't know what that was. And that's basically you have ESP. Yeah. Um, but you have these people who are uh, Rhine sensitive, who, who can sense that they all are of a like-minded. I'm like, Oh, if, if they'd ever actually captured one of these beings, they may have been able to figure that out, but they never did. Yeah. Just very sad. And instead the military complex pumped them full of, okay, let's, let's, Hit the programming and get them warlike again so that we can push on and Here's the happy juice. keep this war going. Yeah, Ryan, you've been very silent. Well, it's I've debated whether or not I... Is see, something as sim, is, a, is a simple solution an easy way out in a book? Because mm-hmm. the truth is, so frequently in life, it's a, just having a conversation to resolve things. Like mm-hmm. That's yeah. literally how things usually work out. Yeah. Yeah. When you get to the end of a book like this, an entire war is based on, oh, we just couldn't talk to each other, right? Like, do you feel any sort of letdown? Like, oh, really? That we're just going to, we're going to play the moral card here at the end that says, if we would have just talked the whole time, this war wouldn't have been necessary, or this war only existed as a, as a profiteer thing. Like, there's a part of me, part of my mind that goes, that's true, but overly simplistic. And part of me, mm-hmm. the other side of me goes, no, it literally some could be that simple as just having the conversation. That's yeah. the purpose of why we have diplomacy and things like that nowadays. Like it's so that those conversations happen before other things happen. Um, and to try and end that. So getting to getting to the end of this book and having that whole thing, like the tar, we, we thought it was a misunderstanding. It was just a misunderstanding that was that and made profit that people were making profit off yeah. of. Maybe, maybe because it's just such a common piece used in mainstream media in uh, so many, you know, Avatar. Um, I mean, there's always the the military general who's driven to, you know, to ha- to make sure the war keeps going, mm-hmm. and then the mm-hmm. the rich business guys who are making money off of it. I, they're always the bad guys in there because that is a bad thing. But I I don't know. I I think if I had read this 
when it first came out, if I was around at that time, I might have had a slightly different feel to it. Did you just say if you were around at that time? Yes. <laughs> wow. So, some of these kids I young, wasn't remember. born for 12 years <laughs> after I this book or something like that. I'm sorry. 74 or whatever oh, it was. I keep forgetting yeah. I am the old man on the podcast. I actually don't. The, re- I don't remember 1974, <laughs> by the way. So thanks for making things even more <laughs> difficult for me. I do remember 1974. <laughs> um, I remember. I remember Watergate. I remember the. I remember the last. Uh, the last vestiges of America coming out of Saigon. I remember yeah. those. I, I remember those events. Um, and, and the interesting thing for me, coming back and looking at this book again, because I, when I when I first read it as a 13 year old, you know what? Most of the social political stuff passed right over the top of my head mm-hmm. um, with the exception of the bunking up with somebody every night on the, on the military thing. I was thinking to myself, maybe I should enlist. Well, it was um, just practical. But so. that <laughs> well, well, certainly, it was by law. Certainly right. controls it a little bit. Well, it was practical um, at first then. But, but the, uh, yeah. but coming back and, and looking at it a second time through um, in some ways, it feels very cheap to use that as the escape piece that says the generals wanted to stay in power. So they invented a ward and make it work. And they invented a war that would keep them in power forever. I'm, I'm, I'm a little frustrated at that explanation. I'm not sure if I'm frustrated at the explanation because it was used to justify the entire book and they, they explained it away at the end, or if it's because it's the one that he used. Does that make sense? It yeah, does. And I don't, the, I don't really have another route out. Like you either have to make the other, only things that come to mind is like, you have to then make the Tarans actually an evil force. Mm-hmm. And somehow give a moral high ground to the... And we killed them all, and that's how we won. Yeah, because genocide's a great way to win, you know, Ender's exactly. Game. But yeah. Ender's Game or, um, you know, you pick your battle, pick your war uh, that's been fought here on Earth. Oftentimes, um, one side goes to that extreme... Um, we could talk about we could talk about the history of warfare throughout the entire throughout the entire human existence, and that yeah. is a direction. I, well, I, but it's it's also it's it's interesting thinking about it where we're again we're seeing it from the point of view of a man who was there from the very beginning. Yep. In the nineties to the yeah. end, you know, a thousand ish so years later. But the people who were living at that point, like that's just how life is. Yeah. Like they're that's just the world. And so it's shattering to him and it's shattering to Potter, but to everybody else, it's just what it is. Well, yeah. and the truth is you want to play a little bit into reality right now. There are kids now, I don't remember what grade it is, but who have never, they've never lived in a time when the United States was not at war. Correct. So if you're a U.S. Oh, citizen, yeah. like, and honestly, it doesn't affect the, it doesn't affect our day-to-day lives mm-hmm. in the way it does others. Mm-hmm. Like it just doesn't. Yeah. And there's some applicability to this. Like if you look down the road, let's, you know, let's throw down the line of 150 years. What does this look like if we maintain a current course? Like you could use this book as a, I wouldn't want to say case study, but something you could, as a, as an idea is, okay, this is the sort of thing that could happen down the road if we maintain our current setup. Sure. Well, especially since in this novel, they're, um, they're drafting the best and the brightest. So he'll right. There's a comment when um, mm-hmm. Mandela gets home, the you know he, the one time he goes home to Earth when his mother is still alive, and somebody makes a comment about how the Earth has kind of gone to pot because there's no artists because all of the really creative like, the, people, yeah, were... the creative and the really smart people and like the physicists are all drafted and killed in the 
in the war. Yeah. And so you don't have anybody to, you know, be doing these creative thinking to help. I don't know, help make life. To help advance society. Yeah. And I really hope I'm in the right book. I've, I've been tearing through books so fast. I really hope I'm in the right book. One of the things that. <laughs> we'll I make fun of you if you're not. That stood out the most in this book to me about how civilization changed was the subletting of jobs. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So-and-so gets a we job, are, but, and they get paid. And then they, then they, they don't want to do it to anymore. Do the job. <laughs> that whole concept, I feel like we are about four years out from that being a reality, you know, mm-hmm. with, with... Yeah, with the gig economy and... Yeah, and it's... We are close closer to that than we should be. Well, and not only are we closer <laughs> to that, but we are... I, I the, the moment where... And I caught it this time through. I didn't catch it quite so much the first time through because again I was 13 I was skipping through some of the socioeconomic stuff and getting to the next space fight um but when he when he calls about getting medical treatment for his mother mm-hmm. and she says oh she's uh, a priority zero. Oh yeah yeah and I'm sitting there and I'm mean? saying to myself hmm that sounds a little bit like Medicare Part B um <laughs> I'm sorry did I just say something political I'm sorry for those of you outside of the United oh, we States that, we'll, we'll not we'll not talk about that well this this is why I love books like this. It's I appreciate and I enjoy the, you know, the the laser guns and, and the aliens and everything. I love that part. I love the human aspect of the story. But there is a tone of reality that we compare mm-hmm. to what we read here mm-hmm. that I appreciate being able to take to take reality, slide it to the side a little bit and say, what if? What if we just tweaked it this much and followed the story and see where it's at? And these type of stories do a great job because they are close enough that it doesn't take a lot of taxation on the brain to figure out how we get to that point. Mm -hmm. So would you guys say that this book has uh, very much level three stuff or does it stay pretty much what levels one and two? Well, Megan, you said you had some level three stuff you wanted to talk about. I forget what level two is, you guys. Level, Socio level, and political. Yeah, it's it's social and political commentary. Not necessarily how to live a better, but how the way that currently the the structure of life and society is either messed up or needs to be tweaked. Okay, and then what's level three? Level three is the philosophy. You should be a. This is why you should be a better person after reading my book. And level ah. one is I hope you had a good time. Level <laughs> level one is laser fingers and exosuits. Notice uh, anybody listening. Notice I did not say. Level one is a ripping good yarn. I just wanted to say that I didn't say that. Until you just said. <laughs> I, I, well. We've, we have altered definitions on this a little bit in different ways. We try to describe it. I know it. you bring this up every once in a while. And <laughs> I, just, I, I mean to write it down. You should no, probably put it on your web page so we just know. It's fine. And it's actually, I, in time, I'm sure Craig will be writing his thesis on this and, and, and doing it. it. And no one will, no one will, no one will read it because it will be written as a doctoral thesis, not as a self-help book. We'll help you with the self-help book. We'll codify it. But I think if there, there are a couple things I would not go to this book if you're wanting like a lot of philosophy. Yeah, it's there. It is absolutely there, and there's deep things to talk about. But this is more of an observational, because of who we're dealing with in the story, I find it to be more observational. Mm -hmm. And then you'll have to make some level three things out of it a little bit more um, based on his, and it's mostly his interaction with the world going forward and being out of time. Mm -hmm. Like it's coming back and saying, is that how that would work? So it's the, it's, and this is actually how level three generally works. I get that. I'm 
it's what level two stuff does the so the political the social the economic influences and how someone comes in and has to interact with that who wasn't there mm -hmm. and whether that's a good thing or not like that tends to generate most of the level three stuff here um well, I'm it's, trying to find. I had a I had a quote that I think. While you're looking for that, Ken, what I, were you I, I don't say? I don't want to I don't want to disrupt uh, from Ryan's quote, but I I think a lot of the man out of time stuff is what drives the level three, um, the level three discussion or or the level three thoughts in this. In, in that, he's got to come back and say, okay, everything is moving so much faster. Or well, in, in this in this case, he's just life has just skipped over me yet I haven't moved. Now, how do I deal with all of that is where the level three stuff, but it brings up um, an interesting concept, you know, today of, of the term future shock, which mm -hmm. isn't referenced in this book, but uh, no, they do. They, Alvin, they referenced it briefly. Did they, re did they reference? Okay. Uh, Alvin Toffler's book or Toffler. I don't know, but his, his book that was written just a few years before this, I think uh, influenced uh, Joe Haldeman's, writing in this in that the sense that uh, information comes quickly life changes so quickly that just the rapidity of that change leaves people stunned and unable to deal with everything moving so fast and leaves you shocked which is where it comes from by where you fit into it and you you're just left going either you know get caught up in the wake keep up or yeah, you, know, well, you, you get left behind. And, in much yeah. the same way that my parents have yeah. when we introduced cell phones. Well, and that was 1970. I mean, 50 years later, it's even worse. I mean, back then it was just kind of a concept and people were like, yeah, I can see that because life's happening fast. And then in the in the years that, that we've been on the earth, I mean, it's happened at a much more phenomenal rate. Yeah. yeah. Well, so it's easy to see how, how that can affect a person i keep coming back to the whole concept that all of these people were drafted they didn't volunteer for this they're not career soldiers i one of the it's early on in the book but this this quote just it stung me it says i felt my gorge rising and oh he's he's in the very first battle yeah 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 where he meets everybody for the first time um and they they have to kill and the commander says we have this hypnotic suggestion so that it's not really you guys but it'll really help and but you know at the same time mandela can still he feels himself but he also feels the compelled the yeah. compelled to um succumb to this suggestion he says i felt my gorge rising and knew that all the lurid training tapes all the horrible deaths and training accidents hadn't prepared me for this sudden reality i wasn't a soldier nor ever wanted to be one nor ever would want to um and even he gets to the end and he's been in three battles and he's he's the commander and he's the one in charge and he gets to the and you know he has a conversation with somebody before he starts his command that says um we did the psychological profile and you're a pacifist but we're gonna put you in charge anyway yeah like you're and he just this it, poor man has to navigate this world that he never wanted to be a part of that's just what and it's all that he knows and he can't go back to what the world was previously yeah well in in that case the world doesn't even exist anymore. Mm -mm. So yeah, so some pretty powerful stuff. For? Ryan, did you find that quote you were looking for? It's not so much a quote, but pretty much everything that we have said and we've hit as major points in this is inside of a couple paragraphs Ooh. in the book here. Um, it, I'm going to read it just because it'll be easier and okay. it's going to be a little bit long. I'm sorry. 
Um, it was hard not to agree with him. Wars in the past often accelerated social reform, provided technological benefits, mm -hmm. even sparked artistic activity. This one, however, seemed tailor-made to provide none of these positive byproducts. Such, impro such improvements as had been made on late 20th century technology were like tachyon bombs and warships two kilometers long at best, Inter were at best interesting developments of things that only required the synergy of money and existing engineering techniques. Sho social reform, the world was technically under martial law. As for mm -hmm. art, I'm not sure I know good from bad, but artists to some extent have to reflect the temper of the times. Paintings and sculpture were full of torture and dark brooding. Movies seemed static and plotless. Music was dominated by nostal nostalgic revivals of earlier forms. Architecture was mainly concerned with finding someplace to put everybody. Literature was damn near incomprehensible, and most people spend seem to spend most of their time trying to find a way to outwit the government. Um, jumping forward a little bit. Uh, there was always, uh, in previous wars, there was always a sense of either working towards victory or at least delaying defeat. The enemy was a tangible thing, a propagandist monster whom you could understand, whom you could hate. But this war, the enemy was a curious organism only vaguely understood. Mm -hmm. More often the subject of cartoons than nightmares. The main effect of the war on the home front was economic, unemotional, more taxes, but more jobs as well. After 22 years, only 27 returned veterans, not enough to make a decent parade. The most important fact about the war to most people was that if it ended suddenly, Earth's economy would collapse. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. That's the that's the book. That is the like I feel like that is the majority of this book. There's a human element to it with his relation with Mary Gay. Yeah. That's the one piece in here that's not really covered, but if you want to talk about the level 3 and the the level 2 stuff, that's it encompassed in those few yeah. paragraphs. So let's talk about the let's let's talk about that aspect. I mean, can you can you say that there's a love story going on in this with uh between the two of them? Does it does it qualify as a love story? Is it more, gee, we're the only two people that understand each other, so we may as well get together. I mean, what do you think? The same way that Katniss and Peta is a love story. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah. Okay. Okay. In, in the sense They're of, a better love This is a better love story than theirs. But. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. In the sense that boy meets girl, boy loses girl, boy refines girl, then yeah, that's a love story, but it's... It's not, not a, a romance story, story. It's not a romance novel or romance story. It's yeah. It's a unique type of love. It's not the romance of of hearts and flowers. It's the romance of surviving together and becoming common. Like you are each other's one anchor to the reality of the real world of where you were and what things meant because they come from the same time. Mm -hmm. They've been through the same things. They understand one another, and that is a very real relationship that isn't about flowers and hearts and chocolates and professions of love it's about the looking at each other and saying yeah you've been there i've been there i know who you really are because i've seen you in terrible circumstances well yeah and, and heck as somebody who's been married for 22 years i can tell you that that's basically what marriage becomes is it starts out with you know fire and passion and and emotion and all of that and and those things you know if you do it right stay but eventually it becomes you know i know you you know me we are invested in each other we are you know our, our lives are, are intertwined and our investment. We continue to choose each other. To, to use a standard. That's a great phrase. Yeah. That's a great phrase. That, that's exactly it. It's we continue to choose to be each other's, you know, everything. And and, and that's and that's basically what what it becomes. And and that's not worse, by the way. And in a lot of situations, in a lot of instances, that's better. Yeah. For me, that I think was the was the big level three piece that came out of this whole deal. It wasn't that uh, it, it wasn't necessarily that war is unnecessary. Uh, it wasn't that that war is always the basis of of a of a misunderstanding, because I'm not sure that I buy that um, when I when I look at those kinds of conclusions and those kinds of easy 
decisions that they want to throw out. You know, it's just because we couldn't communicate with each other. I'm kind of with you, Ryan. I'm not sure if I'd, I'm not sure what to do with that. I'm still thinking on that one a little well, bit. Yeah. And it's even been, if they had been able to communicate with them, they might've thrown it out and gone to war anyway. And I've, and I've been, I've been friends with this book now for the better part of four decades. So, uh, you know, I've, I'm, I'm still not sure on some of those things that I, of how I feel about it, but I do think that for me, at least the major level three piece of this was somehow when you make a connection with someone, those relationships can pull you through things and that's what they rely on. He talks about, um, he talks about in the last, in the last battle where he's, where he mentions, I needed a friend. I, the closest mm-hmm. friend that he had was Charlie, but he wasn't even sure that he could relate to Charlie. Like he knew he could relate to Mary Gay. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he talks about having the therapy session with the, uh, with the, with the sex therapist. And he's like, yeah, he, eventually he started just laughing at me and I started laughing at him. It wasn't any useful either. He says, in fact, I think he, he makes a statement as far as I was, as far as I was aware, the only other heterosexual in the entire company was the cat. Um, <laughs> I remember that. And mm-hmm. he said, and maybe the cat really doesn't even count because it was neutered. Um, and so, you know, looking at this, the, they, they start with this idea that there's going to be uh, frequent and promiscuous coupling it's it's going to be required. You're going to be circled around. You're you're not gonna you, you don't get to pick anybody, but they pick they pick each other anyway, and the picking isn't around the passion of the sex necessarily as much as it's around a a commitment to each other, a a relationship that is based on something that includes the sex but transcends it. And well, for I, me, I found that very satisfying reading through this time. As a kid, I didn't get it. As a kid, I read through and I said, oh, that's kind of interesting. Um, and I was still thinking about the time dilation of how far out would she have to fly? How much fuel would they use? Would they really have an... I was, I was stuck in the, in the physics, not in the choice. I would, be your, I, would, I would be your partner. I would be your nurse. I just mm-hmm. want to be with you. And I thought that that was, it was a long time to get to that one moment, but I appreciated what he took to get there and how he took the, and, and how he took us on that ride to make it mean something. Because I think the William Mandela at the beginning of the book would have flushed that. Mm-hmm. But the William Mandela at the end, after he's gone through all these other things, values it and recognizes it. And maybe that's how we are. Yeah. This, this man is surrounded by death this entire time. I, I made a comp, like one of the few notes that I did take was, I just thought it was funny at one point. And now I can't find it. Whatever. Where he he reacts to somebody dies or something happens and he gets an erection. Where he's just like, there's oh. just this this immediate excitement and I can't even remember the context at this moment. And it just reminded me of a of a line from one of the Master and Commander novels where it talks about how Captain Aubrey loves a battle and he loves a wench because you just after all of this you have all this pent up energy and you need someone. Or like you just need to release it in some way and this is it, you know, and I'm like, well, of course, so he would, you know, you have all of this death around you and he's reacting with like the life giving force. Yeah. Oh, so wow. that's creepy. And um, I know that's weird. Megan, you've, you've creeped us all out. That's really, <laughs> that's really astounding. We need to do these late from now on because uh-huh. the, 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 the interesting <laughs> sides of Megan come out, uh, Megan come out a lot more. Um, we're getting close on time. Um, <laughs> so what I'd like to do is uh, you're. Either your your biggest takeaway or your or, or something that jumped out at you that was a memorable moment in the book that you said, you know what? Either it caught me off guard or yeah, this is this is part of why I would recommend the book and then conclude with your recommendation. Do you recommend it? Do you who do you recommend it for? 
And is this something that you feel like it was a waste of your time or did you enjoy the process? So three things to happen all at once. Ryan, let's, okay, go, guess, go ahead. I'm going to, I'm going to jump in on it. Uh, the, my, the part I found most interesting was just the, the, again, going back to the concept of future shock and about how information and how hyper information has, has just muddled everything. And I, I don't want to sound like an old man, get off my lawn, you know, you do type. I know I do. I don't, I don't want to, but I know you, I do. You sound more like that than I do. Ken. Oh, and I'm ahead of you. By I'm, a few I'm years. two, I'm two steps away from sounding like Clint Eastwood and Gran Turismo, believe me. But I, uh, but I, the, the concept is, is fascinating to me because all it's done in the 50 years since, since the future shock book came out is, is accelerate and it's just continuing to accelerate. And as, as I get older, I see the value in, in slowing down and finding the things that matter and in separating the noise, okay. you know, and, and for somebody else, the, the noise might have value, but I, eventually you have to just go, okay, this this matters more than that. This matters more than that. And you learn to prioritize or you just get so scattered in ADD that you kind of get wrapped up in it. Anyway, I, I enjoyed the book. I enjoyed the book from the, the looking forward, the advancement of technology, the, the theoretical of, you know, what's, what's to come. I love that. And the little kid in me always has gravitated toward the military stuff and the science fictiony stuff. So, so it feeds all of my little kidness. Yeah. I mean, if you like, if you like science fiction like that, go and read this book, just read this book. It's a one-off. I don't care if there were, you know, sequels written, you know, 30 years later, just, just stick with this one. It's fine. Okay. Ryan, Megan, which one he wants to go next? Megan, go. I can go. Um, you had wanted to know how I somehow was how reminded of Mars Attacks when yeah. I was reading yeah, this book. Yeah, I'd like to know. Because that's always that's one of the things I find most fascinating is looking at different um, ways that writers will approach first contact. Um, and we have so many different ways. And I, you know, I'm looking at it like they never had like that moment where it's, "Hi, we're humans. Hi, we're the tar." You know, we never got to have that moment. And I just. I, I thought at one point I was just like, you know how in Mars Attacks where they come in, they're like, we come in peace. Just kidding. Blah. You know, so I was just, I, I kept waiting for that moment and it never arrived. But so, I, so what you're saying is if the Tarans had shown up and we had thrown doves, then maybe the Tarans would have killed them and we would have had a reason to really fight. Yes. Okay. Okay. That would right. have made more sense than what we got. So did you. <laughs> For those of you who don't know that reference, go watch Mars Attacks. Trust me, or watch don't. it. At, I hate watch that it at movie. two o'clock in the morning. It makes more sense at two a.m. Um, <laughs> do you recommend the book? Did you feel like it was a waste of time? No, I recommend it. I, I. You've got I mean, a mischievous a person, little smile on your face when you say that too. I don't generally. Okay, I do like war novels. I enjoy these kind of things. Like I just mentioned that I read Master and Commander and Star Trek: Deep Space Nine is one of my favorites, and that it's all about the war. The last couple of seasons. Um, if you have any delicacy about language, I would steer away from this book, but I do have delicacy and I enjoyed to, I enjoyed it anyway. Okay. So, Ryan. There you go. So I, I get the most out of the human elements of mm -hmm. stories, the emotional connection to the, to the pieces here. And that's my biggest takeaway from this is the value and, uh, of having a connection because he loses his, like other than Mary Gay, like mm -hmm. he loses every other connection he has, whether it's time with his mother, whether it's because he's gone, everything. So I, first off, I believe that for all the terrible things in this book, it has a happy ending Yeah, because they yeah. have a baby boy. They're, that one little line right there just, it made me so happy. 
um, we actually have a naturally born human again. Mm-hmm. Um, and did you catch who the uh, who the doctor was? I did at the time. I don't remember it right now. It was Diana. It was Diana married to Charlie. Yeah. They fixed him. They fixed him, which is a topic that we didn't get a chance to get into, but I we didn't have time. But anyway. But that's... So for all the war and for everything else that goes on in this story, if you take a minute to connect on the human element of mm-hmm. what that matters, this this is a very enjoyable story. Um, a little hard. And it's a little hard at times also to watch even to watch people change the way that they value relationships because that's if you come every time you come back to earth or one of these other planets in the future the value of a human relationship or what that looks like has changed and in some ways it's a full reversal of what's current what we currently have in some ways it's just a a slight change here and i i loved exploring that in that in this piece Mm -hmm. um i would recommend this book um to most people who have an appreciation or love for science fiction. Mm-hmm. Um, I would not hand this to a first-time reader, a first-time... Like, I'm not yeah. going to hand this to my child. Yeah. And it's not just because of language. Um, I'm not going to hand this to my son when he's 10 or, or 11 or, you know, 13, whatever you were taught. <laughs> simply because... What are you saying, Ryan? <laughs> simply because there are other books and other series that I think teach these concepts in a in a better way yeah i think in, in my opinion there but i i if my son came home with a book i would tell him you're gonna like that you're gonna like that good um i i think for me i mean obviously i've been recommending this book for a year and a half and trying to talk you guys into reading it so i'm glad that you have um i i think it is a i, I think it is a hallmark of late 20th century uh good science fiction mm-hmm. not space opera but good science fiction um and and you know I'm always I'm always saying the science needs to drive the fiction and in this book I think it does a wonderful job of driving lots of those pieces of fiction. Ryan, I'm very much with you. Um, the thing that's the thing that stayed with me throughout this book throughout the decades that I've been working with the concepts and the ideas and and all of the things that were presented in this book um, have been number one how cool would it be to have a suit with a laser finger? But number two how powerful it is to have somebody that makes it makes your life so complete that you're willing to use that laser finger to get back to them. Um, having said that, I do want to close with, I, I want to close this with one of my, one of my favorite moments in the book that made me laugh out loud while I was listening to it. Um, and I actually found a way to pull over to the side and mark this moment after I was done listening because I laughed while I was driving. And then as soon as I parked, I, I went back, I, I found the, I found the phrase. <laughs> um, it was, it was just after he had, uh, it, it was after one of his experiences. In fact, I think it was when he was getting ready to, to take his first command. He says, sitting here in a bar with an asexual cyborg who is probably <laughs> yeah. the only other normal person on the whole GD planet. Make it a double, please. I, <laughs> I, I laughed out loud. And I, I enjoyed the fact that there was enough there was enough uh, humor in, in parts to lighten things up a little bit. I didn't feel like I was slogging through a Vietnam film, mm-hmm. uh, but it certainly was a, a, a tougher read. I had come to this novel having read lots of science fiction beforehand. And Ryan, I think you're right. This is not a great entry point into the science fiction genre, but I think it's a critical point in the science fiction genre, especially if somebody wants to understand how people were thinking about um, the issues that science could cause when used 
in a in a warfare situation in the late twentieth century. Um, so there, yeah. I'd put this on an honorable mention. If you have a must-read science fiction list, this would be on the honorable mention side of it for me. Okay. Almost, almost onto of that. So. Okay. Well. Great. This is this is on the should-read list, <laughs> as opposed to the must-read. I, I think I I would say this. I read this before I read Starship Troopers. I read Starship Troopers after. If I could go back and do it over, I'd flip them. Oh man. And I'd read Starship Troopers first and then go and then go back and read it. As it was after I read Starship Troopers, I went back and reread the Forever War and I went, oh, okay. There we go. After you do this, go play StarCraft because that's really all space war novels of what it's led to. The culmination of all great science fiction is the game StarCraft. Absolutely. And at that, we are going to call this. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for your time. Hope you have enjoyed uh, the Forever War. Hopefully you've enjoyed our take on the Forever War. And hopefully we'll see you next time as we start looking at Red Rising. Guys, thanks for your time. Appreciate you doing this with me, and uh, we'll see you next time.